Hello, and welcome to On Wisconsin Workforce. I'm Caleb Frostman, your host and secretary of the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development. I'm here to talk about workforce development in our great state of Wisconsin. And today on On Wisconsin Workforce, I'll be talking with Dr. Mornafoy, president of the Wisconsin Tech College System, about their collaborative efforts in driving the workforce in our state, as well as the Department of Administration's Joanna Bielman-Doolin about the importance of the 2020 census and making sure that you count. We'll begin with Dr. Morna Foy to discuss our expansive Wisconsin Technical College system. Dr. Foy, welcome to the show. Uh, sure, thank you very much for having me, you Secretary. Um, I am a uh, native Wisconsinite. I was actually born and bred here in Madison. I live about a mile from both my parents' homes, so nice. haven't haven't traveled too far. Went away, came back a few times in the interim, but um, I've been in, uh, working for the state uh, for over 30 years, oh. and um, all that time in one way or another in higher education policy, and I'm very happy and um, excited really to be working in the two-year college and tech college space right now because of all the exciting things that are going on. The system itself, you know, a lot of people have heard of us, I hope, even mm-hmm. more so in recent years, but uh, we have 16 colleges around the state, so there's 15 other Madison colleges mm-hmm. um, for folks here in this area. Uh, we have over 500 different unique programs for students and 50 campus sites across the state. So we really are in every community, um, or at least with reasonable driving distance mm-hmm. of every home in this state. We have learners of all ages and with all sorts of career aspirations. So we really try to create opportunities for different ways to get skills mm-hmm. and to get knowledge, but also constantly trying to keep our fingers on the pulse of what's the job of the future? What What's gonna happen two years, three years, four years, even longer term in all the industries we serve? And that really is our second customer group. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the state's employers because it's a, it is our um, responsibility to prepare people to meet their employee needs. So what are the skill sets that our state's employers need to be successful? I think uh, you and I get to spend a lot of time together. We are all over the place, whether me on your board or a lot of our visits, I think, are a pretty intuitive match. We were just at uh, DeForest High School yesterday, so it's great getting to travel the state with uh, with Dr. Foy. And the beginning of your biography on the Tech College website states that President Foy believes in the power of technical education to enrich lives and strengthen Wisconsin's economy. Can you explain a little bit more, and you did this uh, great in your first answer, but expound a little bit more on the role of WTCS and how that system supports our workforce and our greater economy? Yeah, sure. I think, I'm, you know, I, I really think we've we've worked hard to talk about the academic opportunities that mm-hmm. are out there in the system. Um, in recent years, there are a lot more ways that we contribute to individual economic um, mm-hmm. capacity and ability to have a great career. English as a second language programs are offered right. at technical colleges around the state. Uh, adult education for folks in the, you know, there's a kind of a misconception that it's because I never finished high school, so I have to go mm-hmm. back to, to tech college and get some, get my GED. That's one part of it for sure, but there's also lots of us, uh, I would say, are, are not uh, young anymore, <laughs> and we want to make a career change, mm-hmm. or our, career, uh, our industry that we work in is changing rapidly, and we need to upskill, reskill, mm-hmm. uh, maybe get a new whole new set of skills, and some of our basic fun, uh, foundational education was quite some time ago. So um, what is considered to be adult basic education, say in math area today, we would never have had the opportunity to learn when we were in high school because Mm -hmm. it just didn't exist in those days. Um, And that's really true in a lot of technology fields. So that's another service we provide. We also provide direct customer 
customized instruction and training opportunities for our state's employers. Very typical experience would be we get a new piece of equipment, we don't actually know how to make use of it or incorporate it into our existing processes. So let's get someone out from the technical colleges that has some expertise in this, let's uh, create a training program. We can deliver it on site then at their facility using their new piece of equipment. Um, it's really a, an efficient way for their workforce to get uh, upskilled. I think for me, the, one of the most exciting things we're doing right now is the way that we interact with our state's employers. Mm -hmm. So that's something that a lot of my counterparts around the country are very jealous about. Um, how is it that you are able to anticipate the jobs mm -hmm. of five and ten years out? Um, how is it that you know how to um, you know, what skill sets and what knowledge to be delivering in your program so that you can guarantee almost 100% placement or job attainment at the, end of the, at the end of that academic journey. And the answer is the same for all these questions is because we talk to employers. We spend a lot of time in talking to employers and they engage with us. They sit on our advisory committees and they see us as a supplier, like a constant and a responsive supplier of talent. Um, in fact, 98% of the state's employers say that their business success is dependent on their local technical college. Huh. Um, not 100% dependent, but right. it is an important component of their success strategy. That's great. That's a pretty uh, compelling stat. And I know uh, when I travel to different campuses across the state, uh, the level of engagement from the employers is really impressive and, and definitely goes both ways. So kudos to you guys on that. And it's interesting, we talk about spending a lot of time together. DWD and the tech college system have been tied together for a long time. Uh, in collaboration uh, through many programs, but I think the earliest would have been Registered Apprenticeship. Both the Tech College System and Registered Apprenticeship were founded in 1911. Um, and could you maybe uh, explain for our listeners why Wisconsin's apprenticeship model is so strong uh, and maybe why employers not currently using it uh, should consider pursuing apprenticeship for their training needs? Because I love apprenticeship, Yes, <laughs> as you know. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it's so strong, and I've actually been doing some recent research about how apprenticeship varies from state to state. So mm. I'm, I'm educating myself a little bit more about that um, because we take for granted some things that make our apprenticeship system very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. And that relationship between the department and the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards that sort of sets the goals, um, engages with employers, is constantly um, advocating for the use of apprenticeship for both employers and for uh, the apprentices themselves. But their, their partnership with an academic organization like the technical colleges is pretty unique. Um, it is definitely unique the depth of it that we have had and the way that we have built curriculum over the years together. And that you can really see that coming to bear with now a national trend to try to align apprenticeship with academic credentials. So instead of apprenticeship being over there only for certain professions or certain mm -hmm. industries, um, and a kind of a, a dead end. If you choose to go through apprenticeship right, that's that's it. You know, get your journey worker card, and then you, that's that's the end of your career, sort of uh, growth and acceleration. Now everybody's saying, hey, why is that? Why isn't apprenticeship just another way of delivering information, another way of learning skills? And why can't we also get academic credentials at the same time we're going through an apprenticeship? How are we going to make that work? And really, just sort of asking those questions. Mm -hmm. We've been doing that here for decades. Um, and so formalizing it and, and creating a pathway from uh, an apprenticeship into an associate degree or 
a technical diploma simultaneously while you're doing your apprenticeship and getting your journey working card um, is something that we are um, doing in a pretty intense way right now. And as we build on new apprenticeship areas like healthcare, like IT, we're, we're starting with that as, the, as a basic. Mm-hmm. They will contain academic credential and apprenticeship experiences and on-the-job training will be done some, something that is done together. And the department and the technical college system are able to do that because we've already built the crosswalks of competencies. We already have a relationship between the, the important parties, a trust that we have the same goal, which is to get uh, learners who are not only capable of learning throughout their career, but have strong skill sets that employers can take advantage of right away, and that they will be able to build on whatever they learn in their apprenticeship process throughout their career. Because Wherever you start in any career mm-hmm. uh, is generally not where you end up. And I, that's actually what I think makes it so powerful for employers is that as a recruiting tool, apprenticeship is really attractive. I happen to be, have a few millennials in my house and it just blows their mind that they could actually be paid um, to learn, to earn while you learn. Um, not just you make all the investment yourself on your own and hope someday when you get at the end, somebody will hire you and pay you for your abilities. So that's a a great um, recruitment idea. It separates employers who offer apprenticeship opportunities from those who don't. But I think even more now, the value of apprenticeship for employers is a retention value Mm -hmm. because they are competing out there for skills Mm -hmm. and they are competing out there for good employees. And if they find one, somebody else is going to try to poach them. There's just no um, doubt about that. The employers are pretty honest with each other and with us right. about that. So how do you demonstrate to your employees that you value, that you are willing to invest in them, and that you want this relationship to be one that's uh, sustained? How do you retain them? Well, there's a, I can't think of a way <laughs> to more clearly uh, demonstrate your interest in someone than to invest in them by paying them to learn and grow and develop and to become not just a good employee, but someone that you expect to progress through your company or your organization into management, into leadership roles. And that's what apprenticeship does. That's what apprenticeship tells the employee. So I think it has a lot of value and we're seeing that because there's a lot more apprentices and the department's seeing this too. There's a lot more employers who are exploring the idea Mm -hmm. of apprenticeship and there's a lot more people who are interested in, in asking the question of us, well, I'm in a non. I'm not in one of the traditional trades. Why can't I go through an apprenticeship program, anyways? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of our our joint effort to to expand the areas in which apprenticeship works. I'll add one more thing to this question, which is that I think employers are missing out on a lot of public recruiting and marketing for their industries if they don't take advantage of the apprenticeship program because. I hear you talking about apprenticeship and its value all the time. I know that the Governor Evers talks about the value of apprenticeship as a delivery model. I certainly do. We publish a lot of information. Mm-hmm. We share a lot of information with high school students. Um, you know, we're building connections between youth apprenticeship programs and registered apprenticeship and our academic programs. So the word is getting out there 
and I think it's it's um, it's not unreasonable to expect as employers go out into the marketplace and are recruiting to be asked, well, do you have an apprenticeship option option right. available? And I think they should uh, take advantage of that. That's great. I might have to transcribe that. That's an excellent pitch. I'm going to be using lots of that. So I just <laughs> used it with two employers, so I think it resonates. Well, I think so too. Yeah, I think we're firm believers in you know the additional credentials, and then just as we look around the workforce world, the increased emphasis on lifelong learning is so encouraging, and, and apprenticeship builds right into that. Um, now, interestingly, uh, the Tech College system and your higher education partners uh, just recently received a grant that will help uh, increase the percentage of people uh, who haven't earned credential um, beyond high school to 60%. Can you tell me a little bit more about that initiative? Yeah, that's the 60 Forward initiative, and it's really based on trying to make sure that Wisconsinites have the skill sets that the jobs of the future are going to require. Um, so that's the analysis that in the next five to ten years, jobs that are available in this state, at least 60% of them, are going to require something beyond high school. I think that number is only going to grow. Right. Um, we already see it around the country, other states, their goal for uh, post-high school uh, credential attainment is in the 75% or the 85% or the 90%. I think the days where a high school um, credential was all one needed to have a family-sustaining career and a, a good um, long-term life for your family are gone. So however it is that you're getting new skills and new knowledge post-high school, past the age of 18, all of us are, are um, in the same boat when it comes to needing to do that. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to find lots of different ways to approach that. And, you know, it's kind of, this is a good question to follow the apprenticeship one because we've been arguing with the, the national um, think tanks and policymakers about what do you mean by a post-secondary credential? They like to count, initially they wanted to count only a bachelor's degree, then a bachelor's degree and an associate degree, which is, you know, two and four years. What about industry credentials? Right. What about... Um, Shorter term technical diploma is something that we offer here in Wisconsin. And for us, what about apprenticeships? Because they have clearly documented marketable value. Mm-hmm. And they are a post-high school learning experience that you know we're just seeing an explosion of in this state. So we count apprenticeships here in Wisconsin in our 60-forward goal. And I hope that we will um, encourage more states to follow suit. But that's really the objective is making sure that we create the right avenues and vehicles for our citizens um, to get the skills that they're going to need successfully. And it's not, you know, the old days where we just let people, um, you know, you have a couple choices of how you're going to improve your skill set and like it or lump it. It's just not going to work anymore. So Mm -hmm. we've got to be creative, got to use technology, got to look at alternative modes of of learning like apprenticeship uh, to get to get there. We're we're pretty close. We've we've made some progress. We're in the about 50% mm-hmm. right now, but we still have a ways to go. I'm confident we can get there. In terms of initiatives, um, I think our listeners would, would love to hear about uh, the tech college's to and through career pathway model. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? This is something I, I talk a lot about, but again, it's it's just recognizing that the historic, I think, view where we thought, okay, people, you go to college, school for whatever it is, 13, 12 years, right. get your high school diploma, lots of great jobs in agriculture and manufacturing in this state pay great wages, Um, you start your family, you go to work, and and life is great. That isn't um, reality for most of us anymore. And it's also not reality to expect that you're going to finish those first 12 years of schooling and then commit yourself to another even two, four, or ten years. And from an employer's perspective, they really need help. They need 
talent, they need employees. Um, they can't wait um, for people to figure out exactly where they're going to be the most happy. Um, so what do you do with these two issues? You're going to constantly need skill um, advancement and upskilling throughout your career, and people need to work and generate revenue, and employers need them to help make profit and to, to be successful. To, for us, the solution has um, got its roots back in some initiative again. It was a collaboration between the, the Department of Workforce Development and the Tech College System to build pathways, to merge adult pathways and youth pathways, which meant on and off ramps along a person's educational and career aspirations. Mm -hmm. Not having some set takes you four years to do X or two years to do Y. But I need to get this set of skills. I want to go apply them in the world of work and get paid for doing so. An employer wants me to be there. And then now I want to take the next step in my career or in this organization. I need a new set of skills. How can I go back uh, to school without repeating, without starting over? Mm -hmm. If I will make a slight change or detour in my career path, how can I do that without going back to square one, starting mm -hmm. over? And so we've, we've worked very hard with employers to identify the stages in career progression, mm -hmm. but also to build subsets within our degrees and our credentials so that we refer them off as more stackable now, that you can come back and get a group of courses that get you a certification in X or Y. Uh, maybe it is actually an industry certification that mm -hmm. you're getting, and then you can come back and that applies to the next stage in a more longer-term formal degree, associate degree, or whatever. Of course, is that it builds into a bachelor's degree if that's what a person wants or mm -hmm. if that's what their career demands. So it's really about thinking about educational experience as more of a continuous process for an right. individual <clears throat> and letting them have more control and their employer have more control about when they're entering and exiting and then re-entering that educational experience. And then the last question we have for you is just uh, maybe bigger picture with the system. And I've heard you talk about <coughs> other folks have too, but just the, uh, the culture of collaboration. What does a tech college system mean by the culture of collaboration? Well, um, a few things. I think the first basic core level is that we are essentially very tiny individual organizations. I mean, there's 16 of us, they have 50 campuses, and there's a tiny system office. And we are just able to do some things, be stronger, be more um, hear our voice heard, deliver services to a large audience of both employers and students when we work together. Mm -hmm. And we have, we have achieved a lot of really great things that wouldn't have been possible for any individual institution to do by itself. So we work together, and we share curriculum, we um, have a lot of collaborations and consortiums where we purchase supplies and services, IT um, software. We have ongoing continuous conversation between similar positions and functions across colleges. So mm -hmm. even though they're independent institutions, their academic leaders talk a lot. Faculty and, and disciplines build curriculum together and that's shared and available. So you're a new faculty member, you can come in and get resources. You don't have to just invent, start over and invent the wheel. So, you know, our college leadership and myself meet um, every month and have conversations about where we're having struggles, who's doing great, oh, you're doing great, so tell us your secrets of how you're doing great. And they actually do it. Um, so it's not about competing for each other's students. Uh, we, don't, we don't view ourselves as competing um, internally. It's more like how can we elevate opportunity across the state. And that's been uh, just a real pleasure, I think you can imagine, to be yeah. involved with an organization like that, that people really work together. And they're very honest about 
um, struggles, and they're very giving about success strategies in terms of, of sharing their secrets sauce, if you will. I think externally, the tech college system has a lot of responsibilities under Wisconsin state law. We are supposed to serve a lot of different diverse populations. Mm -hmm. We have to care about both employers and students, and it's a big job. And it was absolutely, would be impossible for us to do by ourselves. Collaboration is something we believe in. It's part of our internal culture, as I just mentioned, but it's also just an absolute necessity if we are going to get our work done. And by collaboration, I mean, we just got done talking a lot about the the relationship of um, the system with the department when it comes to apprenticeship, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, right. we have a lot of program offerings that are of interest to the department mm-hmm. um, that don't run through an apprenticeship program. Right. We have folks from other departments, including um, the Department of Workforce Development, do grant evaluations with us, for example, yeah. and to make sure that money that public money that we're using to incentivize new ideas to test out new. Uh, educational delivery models, that that makes sense in the bigger context of what the state is trying to do, um, whether it's the Department of Health and Human Services, Health now, um, Children and Families, whether mm-hmm. the, it's the Department of Workforce Development, Department of Corrections. We work with all of them dif- to serve different client groups that our, our students participate in. And we also work with our higher education and uh, K-12 partners because it's a connected system. I mean, that pathway right. model demands that at every point in a person's educational experience, there is a next step for them. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't do that if we didn't work with our four-year public and private partners to build transfer opportunities, to articulate our programs. So again, you don't have to start over if you right. want to go somewhere else. But with K-12 especially, we have are deeply connected with them and collaborate with them to make sure that we're providing dual enrollment opportunities, mm-hmm. that we are providing career exploration opportunities for middle schoolers, in some cases grade school. And we just have a lot of great show and tell at uh, tech colleges. And I think it's this idea that the group, the team, the, the partnerships are going to be much more powerful and much more successful than any individual organization. Oh, that's great. I think... Uh... Our listeners would be happy to know that, I don't know who won, but uh, you and I both did a welding uh, simulation at different times. <laughs> my my aim was very good, as was my speed, but my angle was not very good. I think uh, my guess is that you would have beaten me, um, but it is funny. And I was at Western Tech in La Crosse, and it was a great tour, and they're doing some great things uh, as far as, I think, attracting students and engaging with employers. So know that we look forward to continued partnership going uh, going forward, and we appreciate the work we've done together thus far. So thanks for coming in today. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Now that we've talked with Dr. Morna Foy, let's move on to Joanna Bielman-Dulin from the Department of Administration to talk about our upcoming 2020 census. Well, if you could tell us what the census is and what its purpose, I think our listeners would love to hear about it. Absolutely. Thanks. So the census is once a decade America coming together to count every resident in the United States. The census is um, based in the Constitution, and it counts our populations and households and provides really important information for our country. Why is it important for everyone to participate, and what should they know about this year's census? It's important for everyone to participate because it's about 
having visibility and voice and value and uh, saying who who we are as a state, who we are as a community. One of the neat things about the 2020 census is that this will be the first time that people can respond to the census online. In the past, you had to respond by mail or by phone. You still have those options, but this time you can actually go online uh, starting in mid-March to respond online to the census. Nice, 2020, it's about time. That's it great. is, it yeah. is. Oh, very cool. And what are some of the reactions uh, you're hearing as to why people don't participate in the census or historically haven't? So there are a number of reasons why people are hesitant to respond to the census. There are historical reasons. There are personal reasons. It's certainly not something that people are used to doing regularly. It happens only once every 10 years. Uh, but really, we have to be mindful of what are the historical root reasons for that and what are some of the contemporary challenges that would cause people to maybe be nervous about responding to the census. That makes sense. And I guess maybe along those same lines, you know, what are perhaps making folks nervous? What are some of the misconceptions uh, surrounding the census? What are some of the myth truths that we have to combat about the census process? Sure. Well, something that is on everybody's mind is security and confidentiality, safety. Um, it's important to know that information that you provide in response to the census is kept confidential. The U.S. Census Bureau does not share it with any other agency, uh, state or federal. Uh, they'll share, you know, data about how many people are in a community, but not uh, who those people are or where they live. There has been a lot talked about in terms of whether the whether the census will include a question about citizenship. It does not. It will not. That certainly has been a cause of concern for folks, and it's important to be clear that uh, there are no questions about citizenship. There are no questions about immigration status. It's also important to know that the census is available in many different languages. So if there are uh, needs that people have for responding in a particular language, uh, generally speaking, that is going to be available. One other thing that I want to mention here is that the census is required by the Constitution. So one misconception that people might have is that it's an option. Um, in fact, it's actually required by our Constitution, and it's really important to show who we are and find out who we are as a people. Um, historically or uh, in current days, are there any communities in Wisconsin that are hard to reach or hard to count, and why would that be? There are a lot of different communities that are, uh, the phrase I use is historically undercounted, because it really, it doesn't happen in one particular census, it can go back. This can be communities that are rural, um, children, young children ages zero to five, people of color, immigrants, refugees, uh, people who uh, move frequently, students. Really, uh, it's a long list of folks who might um, have been undercounted in the past, and we want to make sure that we are reaching everybody. You know, people with disabilities, historically undercounted, but there are a lot of options to make sure that everybody, no matter who they are, where they live, what their circumstances are, uh, can respond. You mentioned some of the, you know, by mail, by phone, online. You know, what are some of the, are there other ways that data is being collected for 2020? Those are the big three. Okay. Yep, those are the big three. Um, starting on March 12th, people will start getting census invitation letters at their home, mm -hmm. and uh, they'll be able to start responding online by mail, by phone. Um, census day is April 1st, so hopefully everybody is responding by April 1st, um, but even if you miss that deadline, you can still respond after that. And I know uh, from what I've seen on flyers and on social media and elsewhere that the census is hiring, uh, and on the radio, I think, uh, all over the place. How many folks uh, is the census hiring and in what regions in the state? So the Census Bureau is looking to recruit 50,000 applications here in Wisconsin. Um, they're doing a great job. They're making really wonderful progress toward that goal. Um, but there are still, of course, uh, more applicants needed. So if people 
people are interested, they should go to 2020census.gov jobs. Applications are being accepted in every county in Wisconsin. Uh, some counties are closer to their recruitment goals than others. These are jobs that have really competitive pay. Training is paid for. You can get mileage and other expenses reimbursed and flexible hours. So it's really a pretty fantastic opportunity, whether to supplement something that you're already doing for employment or if you're looking for employment to begin with. Uh, so we talked about the big three ways of collecting data. What happens to that data once it's collected? How is it used? Well, it's used in a lot of different ways. Um, that data informs the reapportionment process. People think of this as redistricting, um, determining where across the country congressional representatives, congressional districts will be put. This data is used to actually draw some of those lines, but it's also used to determine how $675 billion in federal funding is going to be distributed. These federal dollars go toward medical assistance, um, education, transportation, it really, it runs the gamut. And uh, knowing, you know, who is in our communities, who is in our state, helps the federal government determine where to send those dollars. And um, so you mentioned hiring folks. Are there also unpaid opportunities? Can you volunteer for the census? Well, because of the confidentiality guarantees by the Census Bureau, um, you do need to be employed through them. So if people are interested in being involved, you should go to the Census Bureau itself. Again, 2020census.gov jobs. And they have a lot of different opportunities. Um, again, it's really great pay. It's flexible hours. And really, it's an opportunity to help be part of making history. Um, applications are being accepted every day. The training happens primarily in March and April, um, and then census takers will um, go door to door to try and make sure that we get responses from everybody in May and June and July if they haven't responded. That's great. We touched on it a little bit in terms of competitive pay and the number of applicants, but just maybe if you can give a 30,000-foot a, a view on the impact of the census on our workforce and on driving economic growth and economic development in the state. Sure. It's a great question, and it really is one that that captures how the census data and the responses that people provide have such a broad impact. The census data will be used to inform community and business decisions moving forward about creating or expanding businesses, um, you know, determining economic development opportunities. There's impact through the federal funding uh, for workforce and economic development programs, um, vocational rehabilitation grants. It has an impact for unemployment insurance, funding for funding through the work. Workforce Investment Act and the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act um, are just a couple of the many ways. Um, but really, this is information that's used uh, by our elected representatives to help make decisions that are good for um, our entire state, our entire community, our entire nation, but also used by the private sector as they're making some of their determinations. Where are we going to place a business? Where are we going to expand some of the transportation decisions that go along with that or that inform that? Where are we going to build or maintain roads? Where are we going to place clinics? Where are we going to put money into schools? These things are all interconnected. The census data really is going to be a really key component in those decisions for the next decade and really far beyond that. Well, Joanna, this has been really uh, informative. Thank you so much for your visit, and we appreciate your time here on, on Wisconsin Workforce. Thank you for having me. You bet. Well, thanks for that insightful interview, Joanna. We hope you enjoyed this episode of On Wisconsin Workforce. If you want to learn more about the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development, check out our website at www.dwd.wisconsin.gov. You can also follow us on Facebook or LinkedIn by searching for the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WI Workforce. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Department of Workforce Development Secretary Caleb Frostman, and this is On Wisconsin Workforce.